You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Hey, welcome everybody. Good morning. That sounded like a mediocre, gray, rainy morning. Okay, let's pretend like it's sunny outside. Good morning. Last service, I said that we're going to pray for sun. So please join me in praying for sun. Like right now. Pray now. Okay, I'm a little over the rain. Anybody else? Yep. All right. Well, now we got that out of the way. So... Uh, like Chris and those guys said, man, if you're new here, we're just super glad you're here. And uh, if you've been a few times, we're just, we're, we appreciate having you. Um, we started this new series last week called One Big Story. And uh, we're kind of taking this uh, approach. We're going to spend eight weeks kind of telling the whole big overarching story uh, of God and God's story. And so last week we jumped in, in the beginning and we jumped in in Genesis and we looked at Genesis and we kind of took a fresh look at Genesis and tried to look at it in a new way. And so we were learning about it in context and we learned that uh, it was a poem that was probably written by Moses and that it was written to God's people shortly after they had come out of Egypt, out of slavery. And after 400 years of slavery, they had completely lost sight of who God really was. And so uh, Moses wrote this account of creation to them to help them be reintroduced to who the one true God really is. What kind of a God is he? How did this world come to be? And we learned that God's a good God, right? And, we, and we're reminded of a lot of things for us are important to remember just like they were for the Israelites. Like we were reminded that not only is God a good God, but that he made a, a good creation. He didn't make it out of anger and conflict and contempt. It, it wasn't born out of this ugly place. It was born from the creative, creative nature of a good God. Like he made all these amazing things for us and they were good and for us. And then he kind of stepped it up a notch when he made people in his own image, like in his very own likeness, right? And he said when he made people that they were very good, okay? Now, a lot of people, when we start looking at Genesis and we, and we start talking about the goodness of God and the goodness of creation and how amazingly awesome people are, start to wrestle with something. They start to go, like, Something's not adding up. If, if all of this good God stuff is so true, then how come the world that I actually live in is so full of anger and hatred and wars and frustration and depression and hurts and hangups? Like, like the world I live in doesn't reconcile with this place that God made. Like, what's going on with that? The cool thing is Moses knew that that's, that's what God's people were going to wrestle with next. As he, as he unraveled the story of creation and they started to see how good God was, he knew the very next thing, like us, is we start to have a hard time wrapping our brain around how can that be true. And what he writes next in Genesis 3 helps us unwind that and make sense of it how these two things can both be true and what's going on, okay? So we're going to jump into Genesis 3 this morning. Um, One of the things when we look at Genesis 3 
It's where uh, sin is introduced in the story. And it's where, if you look in your Bibles, kind of the heading above your Bible, the part that's not really scripture, it says, you know, it's written up there like a chapter title. And it says, the fall of man, as if all men tripped, right? The fall of man is what it says. And we get this idea uh, about this introduction of sin. Now, the thing is, when we look at Genesis 3, one of the most common ways people look at Genesis 3 is we look at it uh, and we ask the question, like, how did sin come into the world? And we kind of take an approach like a detective and we're trying to figure out the facts, like solve the crime. If sin was the crime, how did it happen? And the, the reality is that's been looked at a lot. A lot of people have had that conversation, and it's a pretty simple one to understand from a factual basis. So we're going to take a fresh look at Genesis 3 this morning. We're going to ask a different question. We're going to ask, why did sin come into the world? Why is there sin? Okay. We're going to jump in there. Before we do that, let me tell you kind of what, how Genesis 2 wrapped up so we can kind of hit a running start into Genesis 3. At the end of Genesis 2, God saw that it was not good for man to be alone, right? Adam wasn't asking. Check this. Adam wasn't asking. God saw and acted on Adam's behalf, that it wasn't good for him to be alone. And so he made woman from Adam and the man knew his wife, and they were together, and they were with God, and they were naked and not ashamed, it says. Now, this idea of naked and ashamed is more than just physical nakedness. There's that, that part, right, to which we all sort of think about it, get a picture, and go, ooh, weird, right? Awkward. Seventh grade locker room all over again. Uncomfortable, right? There's more going on than that. What's going on is this idea of, of, of people with God, totally transparent, totally vulnerable, totally known, their innermost thoughts and feelings, like open with God, and they had nothing to be ashamed of. That's where we pick up Genesis 3. Let's look at this. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than all of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say that you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, it's important for us to recognize here, like this is the first time in the account of creation where there is this new voice introduced. It's the first time that Adam and Eve are hearing from a new voice that's not God. And the serpent comes in and starts to whisper these things to him, starts to, to challenge what they've known about God so far, to say things to him that make him wonder and doubt and question if everything God had told him was actually true and accurate. Let's keep going. He says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. 
She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Both of their eyes of the, uh, then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So all of a sudden, like by listening to this voice and acting on it, they're, they're starting to realize and, and to wonder like, are they actually inadequate? Like, were they missing something? Was God holding out on them? You know, like they, they looked at the tree, they heard what the serpent said. They, they, kind of started to doubt what God had told them. They looked at the tree. They saw that it looked like it was good to eat and it was good for gaining wisdom. And it's like, wait a minute. Maybe we were missing something. Maybe there is something to that. And they start to act on it. And they start to realize that they're naked and they're ashamed and they're embarrassed and some things start to happen in creation that hadn't happened before. God's people started to feel shame. They started to feel embarrassed. They felt guilty for disobeying God and, and doing something that they weren't supposed to do. And all of a sudden, they're hiding, and there's fear for the first time. They're, they're actually cowering and hiding in the garden, worrying and, and wondering, how is God going to respond to their disobedience? Let's see what happens. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from him. And the Lord God, uh, among the trees of the garden... But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly. You'll eat dust all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So we get this picture, this story of what's going on. And one of the things I want us to back up and not miss is, yes, this is the story where we hear about sin coming on the scene, disobedience, people like willingly walking away from God and, and not trusting his word is, is, is where we actually see this for the first time in scripture. And, and Moses is trying to help his people understand how God responds to this. Now, one of the things that's a real frustration it's like this this lie that gets told in the creation story that so misrepresents who god really is it's this idea we hear and i i'm sure a lot of you have probably heard it this idea that that god and sin can't be in the same place that when when adam and eve sinned for example god realized they sinned and he ran for the hills because he couldn't be where sin was. And he just disappeared and left the garden and left creation and, and left people on their own to suffer the consequences of their sin. But that's not what happened, right? That's not how God responded. 
God doesn't run for the hills when we blow it. God was right there with them. He sought them out. He walked in the garden with them. He went looking for them because he loved them. He still loved them. It goes on in the end of Genesis 3 and talks about how he made clothes for them. Like a, a God that's mad and distant and removed and doesn't care about them, doesn't go seek them out and check up on them and see how they're doing and make them clothes. Right? Here's the thing. When we start talking about Genesis, and we start talking about how good God is and about how much God loves us. And then we start talking about even yet, in spite of sin, God's pursuing people and he loves them. There, there ends up being this wrestling match that a lot of people have. They really start to wrestle with like, if this is so true, if God is so good and, and he knew they were going to mess up and he was still going to chase them and pursue them and care about them, then why even put the tree in the garden to begin with? Like, why? Why even let that be an option? And the reality is this. Because love demands a choice. Love demands a choice. If there's no choice, it's not love. Think about it. So we have a loving God who made us and gave us the, the free will and the ability to choose to love him or not, to choose to obey him or not, to choose to listen to him or not, to choose to walk with him or not. Remember in the beginning of this, we talked about, I said we want to ask this new question rather than how sin came to be. We want to look at like um, why sin, you know, like why did this happen? And here's the deal. At the very root of that issue is this. The very root of it, how, why sin came to be then and why sin still happens now is the fact that all of us, like Adam and Eve, we just wrestle with being satisfied with the fact that God actually loves us just the way he made us. We wrestle with the fact that God actually gives us everything we need and isn't holding out on us. That we don't need to go find something else or supplement. We wrestle with the fact that that. It could actually be true that if we really truly knew God and we were walking with him, that that would be enough. And when we don't really own those things and walk out in those things, then, and then we all do this, myself included, we start to try and figure out ways to like satisfy that need for contentment or joy or happiness. We look for other things to replace what we think God maybe, you know, God made all this good stuff for us, but this would be nice too. And so we get off track. We all struggle with listening to these other whispers and voices, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden when the serpent came. Like, like there's no shortage of lies that we can be told or hear or be deceived by. We still struggle with this same stuff today. They just sound a little bit different. 
Today, the lies that we struggle with and the whispers that the enemy says to us and, and through people that maybe sometimes even mean well, they try to influence and say things to us and some people start to believe whispers and lies and some of the things are along the lines of this. Some people hear these things that, you know, you're too heavy or you're too old or you're too wrinkly or your hair's not right or you're too thin. If you just looked a certain way, you would be happy. People would really like you and accept you for who you are. You would be content finally if just this. Other people struggle with different things. They're hearing different voices, different whispers that are telling them a different story. Some people hear a story like, you know, if you really want to be noticed by God, if you, it, I mean, really, like if you really want God to kind of stand up and take notice and maybe even bless you, then man, you better get to work. Because don't you know that God helps those who help themselves? So you better get after it. And I'm not talking about a little bit. You better work harder than anybody at your place. You better work harder than everybody in your family. You better study harder than everybody in your school. You better get better grades. You better show up earlier and stay later if you want to get noticed by God. I'm sure you've never seen anybody that listened to a story like that. And it's not just about our circumstances in life. It has a lot to do with the lies we believe about relationships and love. And sometimes the, the, we hear these whispers and voices that influence this that have a lot to do with our relationships when we hear people going like, you know, if you really loved that person, then it would be okay for you to do X, Y, Z with them to maybe even have sex with them. And we start to hear voices that, that sound like, you know, uh, this whole idea of waiting until you're married, I mean, it's really old-fashioned. Nobody does that anymore. That's so out of date. And besides, you're together so much, and you love them so much, what difference does it make you're practically married anyway? And off the path we go. All of us struggle with this stuff. The hard part is we all struggle with stuff. We all listen to junk that, that steers us away from staying tight with God. The problem is, is not that, that we struggle with stuff. The problem is that we have such a skewed perspective of how God's going to respond to us messing up that we just stay messed up forever. And we don't realize who God really is, that he's not a God that runs and hides from sin, that he's a God that walks right out and pursues us, that loves us and cares about us. We need to have a picture in our mind of like the father in the story of the prodigal son, the dad that went out and stood at the end of the driveway waiting, eagerly waiting for his kid to come home to just repent and turn from his sin and come home. And this dad that was standing there ready to wrap his arms around him, throw a robe on him, put a ring on his finger and have a party. That is the God that's waiting for you to repent. And it had nothing to do with how far off track you got, how bad your sin was, how much you messed up, who you hurt, what happened. It had nothing to do with any of that. It's just simply, hey, are you ever going to come home? I'm right here waiting. That's the kind of God that's waiting for you at the end of the driveway. That's the one true God that Moses was trying to help God's people 
get reacquainted with. It's the same God that we need to get reacquainted with. We need to be reminded about, remember the kind of God he is and the character that he has and how eager he is to receive us back. Now, a lot of times we'll think about this and we'll think about repenting and, and there's this idea that repenting is uh, like turning an about face and going 180 degrees and that's not a right picture. Repentance is as simple as is, is just adjusting whatever's going on. Like, hey, I need to ask God for forgiveness and stop doing that and get back on the narrow path that leads to life with God. That's it. It's about just simply asking God for forgiveness and getting back on track with him and knowing that he's right there waiting, eager to walk with you again. One of the things that happens a lot in church, I know this happens for me personally and, and, and I probably for a lot of people, is that we'll be kind of in the thick of it, whether it's in a worship song or, or in a message and we're thinking about something and God's stirring in our hearts and the Holy Spirit's at work and there's almost this itch to sort of respond and then we sort of just quelch that until we can walk off and then the busyness of life carries on. So I want to do something with you. I want to give you... Um, an opportunity to like practically, tangibly, physically practice repenting. And I'm not saying everybody in here is in a spot where you, there's stuff you need to repent from. I don't know, to be honest with you, right? And so, but what I do know is that there are people that do need to. That we, and we need to practice like actually going, man, God, I, I, I need your forgiveness and I repent from this and I want to get back on track with you. And I, wanna, I want you to have the opportunity to practice how simple it is to get back on the path with God. And so you, I'm going to ask you to take those cards that were all over and if you've got an extra one around you and somebody needs one, help them out. Um, but on those cards... If you feel like there's something that you could repent from or need to repent from, I just ask you to finish this sentence somewhere on that card. I repent from, and lay it out. And if you don't feel like there's something that's really pressing on you, then just pray. Pray for people in this room. Pray for God to stir the hearts of those that he's calling home. Okay? I'm going to give you a minute to do that, and it's going to be a little bit awkward and quiet, and it's okay. So go ahead. We're going to pass some buckets and collect those connection cards. And if you got, need more time to write, just drop it in the bucket when you leave in the back, those, car, those wood boxes by the back door. And then right after that, we're going to pass out communion. And if you're new with us at Real Life, um, you don't have to be a member here or do anything special to take communion with us. Um, anybody that wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is welcome to have communion. We'd love to have you uh, take communion with us. So when the elements are passed out, if you just hold on to them, and then we're going to take communion together towards the end of the service. And then in your notes, there's going to be some implications some kind of things to take away and chew on. And normally we, we make them in the form of a statement, some kind of like bullet points that we want you to really chew on and sink your teeth into. And, and this week, um, we're mixing it up on you. We're going to send you home with some questions, some things for you to maybe meditate on, 
reflect on and, and just personally seek the Lord on and see where God leads you when you think about these questions. Let's take a look at that first one. It says, what whispers do you need to crush in your life? I mean, when you stop and think where you're at, what's going on in your life, like who else is speaking into your life that's contrary to God's word? Like, is there anything you're listening to or that's influencing you that's not helping you stay tight with God? Let's look at the next one. What areas of your life are you hiding in shame? It's a real personal one. Super vulnerable, like grab a cup of coffee, get up early when your house is quiet, and spend some time with Jesus and chew on this question. Let's look at the next one. If you could let go of your shame, what would be different? This is huge. If you could let go of your shame, what would be different? When I think about this, I think about how Paul was able to say that, you know, ultimately he came to a spot in his faith and his walk with God that he learned that no matter what his circumstances, whether he had a lot or he had a little, whether he was hungry or whether he had tons of food, no matter where he was at or what was going on, he had learned to be content and to work through it because he knew that Christ gave him strength. And with the help of Christ, he could get through any and every circumstance and not just bear through it, but to get through it with joy and, and peace and contentment. Like how awesome would it be to be able to walk through life like that? Let's look at the last one. The last one is this Romans 8, 38 and 39. This is the verse that the kids are going over in the, in the children's ministry. This is the thing that we're really hoping that they sink their teeth into and it just cements in their, in their view of God. And it's important for us to look at as well. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons or the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like nothing, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. This is important that you get this picture, that you have this right picture in your mind. Check this. Everybody look here. It's really important. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. We are not talking about eternal security, like can you be saved or not be saved. That's not what we're talking about. This is really important. We're talking about you blew it in the garden. You're naked and ashamed and hiding from God, and nothing you could do in your life Ever can change the heart of God who looks at you and loves you. You can't talk God out of loving you. That's what this, this verse talks about. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. It's so cool, and we do communion every week, and it's just this awesome reminder of the lengths to which God will go to show his love for us. That he would send his only son to sacrifice his life for us so that we can have a way to have a right relationship with him. 
to walk with him, that through a simple act of just asking God for forgiveness and just repenting and turning from our sin, is something as simple as that through the power of what Jesus did on the cross, we can be right back on track with God. That's why we remember this, what Jesus did for us every morning. We take communion. Remember that on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks for it and he broke it. And he said, as often as we get together, let's do this in remembrance of him. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, the cup represents the new covenant that was his blood shed for us. And as often as we get together, let's drink this in remembrance of him. Now, we're going to close in worship here in just a second, but... I want to introduce something to you that we're going to start doing. We're going to continue to do this on an ongoing basis. I'm just going to explain it a little bit this morning. At the end of each service, when we get to this opportunity to worship together before we go home, we're going to actually start having some of our care group leaders and coaches and staff are going to stand off to the sides and just kind of out of the way, you know, so that you know you don't have to come stand up in front of everybody or be awkward. But we want to give you an opportunity to kind of respond to maybe what God's stirring in your heart as, as you go through the message and through worship. And so at the end of each service, you're going to have an opportunity to actually respond and go and, and have somebody pray with you or to ask questions about something. And, and if you need to talk with somebody, we want you to have the opportunity to do that. And so here in a minute, I'm going to ask you if you'd either just uh, stand and worship with us or if you need to go and pray with somebody, go ahead and feel comfortable to go and pray with somebody. God, we love you. You are such a good God, and we thank you so much for the reminders. God, thanks for that picture of you at the end of the driveway, Lord, just eager for us to come back to you. Not with judgment, not with shame, not with uh, where have you been, just a big hug and lunch. Thanks for being that kind of a God. I pray that each and every one of us here, Lord, would get to really, truly understand and experience you that way. God, be with us this week and let our light shine bright. We just pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.